What is going on, everybody? It is Gage and Brock with another Tiefling Talks podcast. Hope you guys have had a good Father's Day and a good week. Yeah, a bunch of fun stuff. Um, you may have noticed that this this one will actually come after the next one that we upload when we come back. But uh, I recently had some issues arise and my plate kind of got a little overloaded, so I wasn't able to... Um, be on top of things and honestly i think i for the first time experienced what burnout was i'm not 100 percent sure but uh needless to say i got to the point where i just if i wasn't working on D stuff i was sleeping um it was so bad to the point where you know i couldn't even go out and get normal groceries and stuff but it's almost like it was like a week-long thing and then my mind just snapped and it's like all right we're back to hyper fixating on D D. Yeah, that's uh that's not good, man. <laughs> like I definitely understand having to take time, uh, to space it out more evenly than that, instead of just like kinda shutting down for a whole week, maybe I don't know, a day or two. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, I work really hard for four days out of the week and then three days I get to um more or less just kinda relax, have fun. One of the games I run on those three days is on a Thursday and they're really cool, really chill, so they totally understand having a nice relaxing game. So, you know, that's cool there. So pretty much I have three days off. Um but, you know, I I wanted to push myself a little bit before and uh, you know, so I wound up besides the Friday game we play in, I wound up signing up for a Wednesday game. And I don't know if it was just kind of my overthinking type of brain, but I got to the point where I just feel like I wasn't vibing well enough with the group. And it kind of, I don't know, it, it just sucked because it, it kind of like made me feel like an outcast. And I was like, okay, well, I don't want to hinder or um, taint my love for D&D, so... I'm going to drop out while I still have a very positive outlook of D&D and um, I'm just, I don't want to kind of keep pushing myself to play these games, especially if I know it's going to just make me dread showing up to them, kind of give me anxiety every time the game, I know the game day is coming up and stuff like that. Um, so I, I, I did what was best for both my mental health and for my emotions and kind of just dropped that campaign as well. Um, we could talk a little bit about some of the things that I guess I pick up on, but, you know, maybe pass through as things that don't really get noticed or nobody was like intentionally trying to be um, mean towards me or anything like that. But uh, so in this campaign, I tried to originally play a pacifist healer um, who just does massive healing for the group. I was going to do a, a three subclass type of class. I was going to go, um, I did go cleric first and then three levels in the druid. And then I was eventually going to go into sorcerer for the sorcerer points. So that way I can get the twin spells, uh, for healing. So when I cast like a healing word or something like that, you know, I can target another creature with it. Um, however, uh, there were some complications that came up and basically the DM himself told me, yeah, I don't think that the pacifist healer thing is going to work out in this campaign. It's totally cool if you want to change stuff. Um, I'm, I'm totally cool with you changing things around, but I just don't think your, your play style is going to work out in combat. And I'm like, okay, well, that's kind of a bummer to be told that right off the bat. 
Um, but you know, it's cool. Uh, he, he, he was really cool about it. Uh, you know, he told me up front. So that was, that was really nice of him. Let me change my stuff around. And so I optimized my class differently to be a lot of damage instead. Um, because I can take any class and optimize it to the best of its ability. And so with Tasha's, you can get a companion with a wild shape called a wild companion. And, uh, I went that route. I also went starry form and forge cleric so then it gave me a plus one to my armor so my armor was now a 19 um instead of an 18 uh and then i was able to uh use my starry form and also my other wild shape to create the wild companion wild companion would give me advantage on my um melee attacks and uh so then after doing all that, I would also be able to bonus action cast uh, Flame Sword and be able to use that to attack with, get advantage from my thing, and start dealing damage with the Starry Form, so on and so forth, have multiple attacks, kind of all of that stuff. And, you know, at first it was, it was okay because I just debuted this character that's dealing all this damage now, and um, the first thing that happened to me was... I went in and I dealt like 30 points of damage to this guy round one, right? He had to have had like two to three HP left. And so our frontline uh, front tank, instead of coming up and like attacking the main bad guy, the main boss bad guy, while I was trying to take out the underlings to, you know, give us better action economy, he goes up and he just wastes his attack on kill stealing my kill, which was like literally three HP away. And takes it, and then he, like, role plays into it, like, yeah, I just did that to that guy, and uh, I'll do the rest of that to all of you, and everybody at the table was like, dude, I mean, you just took his kill, not only that, but you also just are, like, claiming like you did all the work for it, and so, you know, a lot of people kind of were on the fence about that, I, you know, I was... Being a nice guy, just I was like, yeah, it is what it is, we're, we're all playing together, we're all helping each other out, so, you know, it is what it is, and... Uh, we moved on past that, and, um, you know, every time I would try to, like, make a comment or something to the frontline tank, he would just kind of stonewall me and not, like, talk to me uh, at all or, you know, kind of anything like that. The only words he uttered to me is, you know what, I've got this. You should probably step back. And I'm like, okay, dude, what the hell? Yeah, that seems like a really unfriendly, uh, unfriendly player, honestly. And it could seem a little biased just because it's my side of the story and everything. I totally get that, totally understand, but I don't know. I'm I'm not the type of person that comes in with a character that tries to steal a spotlight. That's why I came in with a pacifist healer, because I wanted everybody else to do the damage, be tanking, get the crits, have all that fun stuff happen. And I was just going to kind of sit in the background. I'd heal people, and I was totally cool with that. But the DM himself told me that that wasn't going to work out well, and I'm like, okay, well, I don't really want to do this but if you really want me to play a class that has some involvement in combat i'm the type of person that i'm not going to min max my character i'm going to even him out as much as i can so that he has no negative modifiers stuff like that but i am going to make my class as efficient as it can be you know i'm not going to sit there and go oh let's take this because this is kind of cool or take this because this is cool i'm going to be like okay so what can i do to get the most out of what i have um and you know, so that all happened, that all went down, and uh, when all was said and done, um, you know, he, there were a few things that happened. So right off the bat, the DM tells us that he plays um, 
RP moments with, uh, uh, you know, kind of cool rule of cool, you know, if it can kind of work, we'll have it roll. And if the dice allow it, you know, a cool thing will happen in combat. He plays specifically rules as written, right? So I'm sitting there and, you know, we're doing some stuff and, uh, I go to shoot a guy and I forget that there's someone within five feet of me. So that means that I have disadvantage on my ranged attack against another person, uh, 15 feet away with my archer sorry form archer i'm like okay that's fine i'll take that not even the next round the tank comes up uh our frontline tank same guy that was giving me shit before and you know just not talking to me and stuff uh he comes up and he's like i don't got any weapons but i'm gonna hit this guy and i want to cast smite with my fists rules is written you cannot do that however the dm was like yeah sure go ahead and i'm like uh okay man come on come on that's you literally just told me I couldn't so do something because the rules is written, but you're letting him get away with uh, the smite for fist type of deal. What's going on here? And um, it was just a variety of stuff like that and some other things that maybe I'm reading too much into, which could totally be true. You know, I'm, I'm I overanalyze stuff a lot, but uh, for me, it just it kind of kept building. It was a bunch of those little things that just kept building up to the point where I'm like. Yeah, you know, there's really only one person I actually talk to within this, you know, group of six, including myself, that, you know, we actually RP back and forth and everything. And he wasn't even there for that session, so it really felt like I was an outcast. I'm like, you know, every time this guy's going to be missing, I don't want it to be solely reliant on this one guy to keep me here, you know. I should be able to talk to the rest of the group, have fun, you know, crack jokes and stuff. But it just really made me feel not part of the group i guess and so you know um i kind of just i was like very respectful told him i was like hey man uh, i just don't think it's working out for me uh i feel like i'm kind of maybe not button heads but also not really um getting along as well as i would hope with some of the other players so i'm 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 gonna jump out of the campaign i really hope and wish you guys the best and you know i left and you know, sometimes that's just really what you have to do. There's no, like, um, there's no fixing when you feel like you're just not part of the group, you know, or, uh, you know, your DM can say certain things, but if it's the players themselves that feel like, you know, even if they don't know they're doing it, um, that can make you really feel like an outcast type of deal. And so, you know, I, I talked to the DM, told him the, the issue, and I, I, I told him, hey, you know, it's nothing you did wrong, um, which there was some things that he did that, you know, could have been done, handled a little bit better, I guess. But, you know, I'm, I'm not the type of person to be an ass about it. And so, uh, you know, I just kind of bowed out. And now I'm back to just playing in the Friday games, which is totally, totally fine with me because that means I get to enjoy my Wednesday and Thursday in peace. Yeah, it sounds like that uh as much as it sucks to like join a campaign and be ready to commit and then have to back out, it sounds like it's probably going to be better in the long run, especially for just like keeping things stable. Yeah, and um you know, I joined this campaign as a seat filler being that uh, I wasn't paying anything or anything like that, so that's why I built this class to kind of just sit in the background i was totally happy with them i really wanted to try them out you know i couldn't wait to get my sorcerer levels and you know get the twin spell thing and try that out see how that works um and kind of just mash a bunch of stuff together but 
um, him, the frontliner, and I think there was somebody else in the group that was also kind of just never interacting with me. So it just felt like I was never like we were never in the same group for some reason. It always felt like we were two different, way different people. And so I was just like, hey, you know, I'm not going to sit here and um, do it to myself and leave a bad taste of D&D in my mouth. You know, I don't. I I know what signs, I guess, to look for early on um, because I've been a DM for so long to allow me to gauge and guess and, and get a pretty decent, if not pretty accurate, picture of what I, I feel like the future of this is going to look like for myself. And so, you know, I can make judgment calls on that. So that way I can still keep D&D a very fun and fond memory. Um Yes, you can always cover up bad memories with good ones, but those bad memories and those bad experiences still stick with you, you know? You still, like, if you walked into a game and you experienced it the same way you remember experiencing the first time in your bad uh, campaign, you instantly get the feeling. You know, you're like, ooh, yikes. I don't like where this is going. Um, unfortunately, it takes one bad taste to ruin even like years of good tastes it's you remember the bad things not the good things so trying to avoid any of these uh any of these negative circumstances especially like when it's not just the dm which it's good that the dm reached out but i feel like things could have been worked around i don't know the exact like tone that was used or something um regardless whether it's the DM, the players, the setting, whatever doesn't mesh well, I agree. It's definitely better to remove yourself. There will always be another game, another opportunity. There won't be a second chance to avoid a bad taste, though. Right. And, you know, for a lot of new players, it's a very scary thing because you don't know what a bad DM experience, uh, D&D experience is until it's ex you've gone through it because you're a new player. And so um you know for them it's a lot harder to kind of gauge that for but for a lot of experienced players who have that bad experience under their belt or have been dming for a very long time you kind of get that that sense of "Ooh, my spider uh sense is tingling i gotta get the hell out of here yeah um, back when i uh first started playing dm well not first started maybe this was six months after i started taking this game seriously um my uh, local community library had a D&D &D group that was running and I decided it would be a good idea to join that and it was not. Uh, it was a uh, it was 12 or 13 players Holy and shit. one DM who did not understand 5e. They were desperately trying. Like You could see that they were putting in effort but they were very confused with Pathfinder rules. Um we got a lot of asking, no, what's your flat foot AC, not your uh, standard AC. It was not good because the the regular GM had just left to start uh, training for police academy. So I stuck, excuse me, we're uh, running under this GM who has only been a player in this one game and is now trying to DM for a party of 12 or 13. And I knew nobody, so oh, it really God. didn't end up working well. But uh, we switched over to Pathfinder shortly after, and things got better. 
uh, it was an amnesia campaign, so we don't only go so far with Pathfinder and amnesia trying to like take away class abilities, but I don't know. It definitely uh, it improved seeing a DM in their natural habitat, but I still would not recommend that kind of thing, and that's really turned me off of Pathfinder, honestly, just because there is so much chaos of 13 people trying to loot the same chest and trying to figure out what all these roles would take when uh, the party started fighting each other. And yeah. then there were two gunslingers, oh, two God. brothers that showed up like maybe two weeks after we switched to Pathfinder and they fucking knew Pathfinder. Holy shit. Like we were all out here like kind of just barely making it through the game and then there's these two i think it was like a goliath and a halfling or like the pathfinder equivalents of those uh the goliath had full plate armor he was a walking fucking tank with a giant blunderbuss and then the halfling had two little pistols and would sit on his shoulder and fuck. jesus christ yeah, so the the Goliath had like 27, 28 AC or something and just never got hit. And the uh, the halfling would take advantage of cover, hiding like in various places of this guy's armor. That's and insane. And they just wiped every fucking encounter. It was so much fun to watch, but I felt so bad because you could watch the DM just like, oh my god, it's your turn. What are you going to do? Right. Because, I mean, they knew the game better than she did. Right. And that's that's something that uh, I got a reality check on when I was in this game with rules as written. Because I always play with rule cool. You know, you guys pitch me something. If I think it's cool enough, I'll tell you to roll a die. And if it works out well, beats the DC I have in my head, then by all means, you can do it. But uh, with rules as written, it's uh, kind of changed pretty much the perspective of everything for me. Because... Um, you know, I found out that, um, so I, you know, if you have a racial feature that lets you use, like, say, Misty Step, for example, uh, to cast with, I allow you to use Misty Step as the bonus action after you used a leveled spell. However, you're not supposed to be able to do that, regardless of what the spell is or if it's a racial feature or a class feature. You're only supposed to be able to cast one leveled spell per turn. Right. Um... And I, like I said, I previously did not know that. Like I said, I let my players use Misty Step. Um, if it's a racial feature, why not? You know, you get it as a race. You know, I figure it's just something innately that you get to do. Um, but regardless, I also found out that... Um, so the five-foot disadvantage for ranged attacks is not for just shooting something within five feet of you. It's when an enemy is within five feet of you, any ranged attack you make is at disadvantage. Interesting. Okay, so it's like applying pressure on somebody while they're making the shot, not not like, oh shit, he's close, I can't get the, the barrel or whatever, the, right. the bow and arrow to act right. Because that's what I did with Starry Form. I went up and I went into melee range, action, use my shillelagh to hit, and then use my starry form to shoot an arrow but even though i was targeting somebody you know like 20 feet away i had disadvantage still because somebody was within five feet of me i was like oh well that changes a lot of things i did not know that i thought it was just when i'm trying to attack somebody within five feet 
Yeah, and I feel like a lot of people probably don't know a lot of these things, and it's partly the DM's job to, like, refresh people of these things, but, you know, you can't really be like, wait, 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 what are you trying to do? Like, assume that people, like, assume the worst, assume they're trying to slip one by you. You just gotta accept that people just don't know, they forget, and just be like, hey, just a reminder, you you can't do that. That's against the rules or shit like that. Right. And that's what I try to do with my players all the time is, you know, when I see them doing something, I'll be like, hey, don't forget, you can add your sneak attack damage because somebody's within five feet. One of your allies is within five feet of the enemy you just attacked. So even though you don't have advantage, your ally does give you sneak. And, you know, I'll remind people of that. I'll remind people of, hey, just a reminder, I know you're new, um, but if you move outside of five feet of this enemy, he will get an opportunity attack. And, you know, uh, I kind of try and do stuff like that. But, you know, like I said, I've always played with um, uh, rule of cool kind of deal. Uh, in combat, it's a little bit more serious and there's a lot more to it. Um, but, you know, for the most part, it's, you know, when you're trying to do something, as long as I see it as a viable reason and it's not breaking the game, I don't really have an issue with it. It's only when, you know, you get to the point where you're like, okay, well, I'm a cast. Um... You know, this, and then for a bonus action, I'm going to cast, you know, whatever else, a second fireball or something. Not really, but, you know, then I'm like, okay, well, you can't, you can't do that. That's, that's a little too much, you know. Um, but, you know, I, for me personally, when it comes to it, what's the worst Misty stuff's going to do? You're going to do a touch spell and then get out of the enemy's range. Okay. What's so bad about that? Because of the fact that, you know, they're, hundreds of other classes with other, hundreds of other ways of getting into range of somebody and getting out you know uh, rogues can get in attack use a bonus action get out um fighters can use an action surge and use their action surge to disengage or whatever you know um so there's there's a multitude of ways to kind of make that work so i don't see an issue with stuff like that it's just when you try to actually break the game with trying to bend the rules then there we have an issue um but regardless, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's really up to the DM to, yes, know the stuff, obviously, first and foremost. However, there is just so much particular wording on so much content for 5e now. I would never go into a game expecting a, a DM to know every book that has come out with every wording and everything else. Um and I'm not going to expect a DM to be able to be like, oh, hold on, you know, let me go look it up and everything like that. You know, if they want to, cool. If not, I'm totally cool with the DM being like, okay, um, you know, for, for this turn or this session, we'll go ahead and say yes, but we'll retcon it later if it's, you know, something different, which is what I do. I play with uh, rules as interpreted. So with Foundry, it allows me to open character sheets, look at your feats, look at what you guys got, and read the description real quick. And then I'll make a judgment call later on. Um, you know, I'll get on Google, type it in, see what forums say, see what other DMs say, see what uh, rules is written kind of plays out, and then, you know, I'll adjust it uh, as we go. But, um, yeah, no, it, it, was, it was something else because uh, apparently he had, like, all this knowledge about 5e but nothing about Tasha's. So it kept throwing them off every time I was using from something Tasha's or I would remind our rogue, hey, you are fourth level. At third level, you get the steady aim feature. You can use that. 
while it is optional, it is still there for you to use. Uh, and he was like, oh, okay, then yeah, I'm going to start using that. And the DM was like, what? What's this? You know, I haven't, I haven't, I'm like, hey, you know, if you don't want it in your game, that's totally cool. I'll, uh, I'll link you the steady aim thing and everything. And, you know, you can uh, give a judgment call, but I'm just trying to help out our rogue that's just sitting there. He, he spent three turns in the same spot. And I'm like, all right, man, come on. Like, if you're not going to move, then I really want you to have this ability because it's perfect for the instance where you're just standing there shooting arrows turn after turn. If you're not going to move, you may as well at least get the advantage from, you know, standing still, not positioning, not kiting. Right. And, you know, the the addition of your sneak attack damage, which is a big thing for rogues, um, with that advantage. And... You know, that's that was the other thing that that threw him for a loop is when I had the wild companion come out, which was part of Tasha's and the flame blade, which is a spell from Tasha's. Um, he was like, whoa, 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 what's all this? And, you know, I explained it to him. He's like, uh, yeah, all right. All right. And I'm like, all right, cool. You know, let's get into it. And that's when I do dealt the damage and stuff like that. Um, and, you know. I, I asked him beforehand, too, when I was changing my classes. I made sure he knew exactly what I was choosing and why I was choosing it. I'm like, hey, I am going to um, be getting a companion. I'm going to do Starry Form, and I would like to do Forge Cleric. Is all that cool? And he's like, yeah, sure, not an issue. Um, and another thing came up which made me really realize something going on. Because, uh, so... I, like I said, could be reading into it too much, but, uh, so the DM, you know, uh, is got the big bad going and the big bad, even though our frontline tank is literally adjacent to it. So also five feet away was taking both of his attacks on me consistently. And I'm like, okay, well, whatever, fine. I can heal. I can deal with it. I'm, I'm good. Uh, not an issue. I'll just keep sitting here being a caster tanking everything while our frontline tank deals with these little minions over here. Not like, you know what whatever whatever um and so i kept just tanking some damage i'd heal and then i'd attack tanking some damage heal and then i'd attack and i was just going after this big bad the whole time and there was a moment where the dm rolled an 18 which was my previous ac right and um but because a forge cleric allows me to add a plus one to my armor creating a 19 and so when he hit that 18 he's like uh does an 18 hit and i'm like no and i'm like he's like uh, are, are you sure? And, you know, I hear some papers flipping and I'm like, yeah, I'm at a 19 with Forge Cleric. And he looks at my character sheet and he's like, oh, okay. And then the next attack he rolls, it's a 22. And I'm like, yeah. interesting, interesting how that, uh, how that worked, especially because, uh, he already knew that I was low on health from, uh, taking an arrow from another enemy or whatever. I'm like, huh, Okay. I'll take that damage. Uh, and I took the damage and uh, he's like 22 points of damage. And I'm like, okay. And we sat there for probably about 10 seconds of silence. And he's like, are you still up? And I'm like, yep, still up. And he's, it, it was that moment for me where I was like, okay, so he did literally two things in my mind. Anyway, um, being a DM. Yes. You fudge dice. It happens. You fudge dice to kind of make uh, the encounters more, enticing to allow the combat to actually be a lot more challenging stuff like that i totally understand that um but when he was saying that not only did it lead to me thinking all right he fudged the dice thinking an 18 would hit so it was below an 18 
got mad or not mad, but, you know, wanted a hit to land on me. So he did the 22, you know, totally cool. Totally fine with that. Took the damage. Um, but the moment he said, are you still up after I didn't say anything? I was like, oh, uh, yeah. And that's when I realized he was trying to down me. Now that's no fun. That's not cool. You know, I get when you're trying to bring people down to low health and stuff, but leave it up to the dice at the last moments. You know, I'm not going to fudge dice when it is rolling to put you into death saves. I'm I'm literally leaving that up to dice. That is up to chance. Um, I may skim a little off the top at the beginning of combat, but after that, it is up to the dice whether they take you out or not. Um, I just want to kind of, you know, give you a paper cut to get things kicked off, you know. And uh, so kind of hearing him say that, it put me in a, a mindset of, okay, well, why, why am I being targeted? What's going on here? What's happening? It's not only the frontline fighter who's not tanking the big bad guy who supposedly has a higher AC than me, and he was gloating about that, um, but, you know, also is just sitting here killing off minions instead, and I'm like, dude, this party's dynamics are either really fucked up or people just don't like me. Yeah, I can, I don't know, that's uh, one of the reasons that I really prefer DMs rolling out in the open. Like, I understand that fighting dice could be part of the game, but, and for, like, maybe big boss encounters, I could see having dice hidden, but for, like, generic stuff, like, okay, make an opposed deception roll to, I'm gonna roll insight or something. It just doesn't, like, unless it's an essential NPC. I don't really see a reason. I feel like the game's more fun just rolling with what the dice decide and then having to come up with it on the spot. I feel like that's uh, that's at least more towards what our Friday game would do. And I feel like I really enjoy the dynamic our Friday game has where if the dice decree it, then we just have to make it work. Right. And it's truly left up to chance. There's no except for a little bit of plot armor there's no like god stepping in and say oh nope he's not he's not ready to die yet right and that's you know that's what i'm trying to do now with my games is like if it's a very um you know it's a opposing uh skill check roll or something like that i'm always going to try and like i'll try and show you guys what they rolled when they fail or when they succeed stuff like that or they need to make a saving throw i try to show you guys those rolls um, the only time that I try to hide attack rolls is when I get like five crits in a row, which has happened in the Sunday game. And um, I will only show you guys one of those crits because I, yes, <laughs> as much as I want to uh, leave it up to dice, I don't trust digital dice enough to actually have that viable chance of of getting that because there's... You know, there's a lot more variety in rolling a physical dice, uh, a lot more chance, a lot more um, um, variables that come into play, the size of your hand, whether your hand's sweaty or not. You know, all of that, like, adds into the effect of that dice roll being truly random for your person. However, in uh, with digital dice, there's only so much the algorithm can allow. You know, it is an algorithm. It is programmed by somebody else to do that. 
the random chance, yes, it can still happen, but it is an algorithm to some extent. And I mean, that, yeah, we don't have a way to really simulate true randomness. It's always going to be based on a formula. There's even a guy who can claimed, at least, that he could roll a six-sided die and roll it to what he wanted to. Of course, with a d20, that's not going to happen, and nobody's really trying to do that. But there's always going to be some element of something happening. And since we're playing over the internet, short of a webcam dedicated to your dice tray, there's not another good way to show rolls. So it's a lesser of the evils. Do you hide the rolls and have suspicion like you were describing? Or do you show all the rolls and just have to essentially waste a webcam and like clutter the screen? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a, I think a good spot is a mix of uh, both, you know, a little bit of mystery of, you know, the DM knows what's going on, the players don't, but also those solid moments when a player's in disbelief of, did I really just fail that, or did I really just, he really just succeed that uh, deck save or whatever, and then you show it and you're like, oh shit, okay. You know, and, and those are the moments that, yes, you revalidate that you are being truthful, that you, you aren't trying to lie about it. You know, you I want my players to succeed. So when an enemy succeeds, it's not like I, I'm trying to fudge them to succeed. I want them to fail. I want you guys to win. I want you guys to have an awesome encounter. But at the same time, I don't want to show everything because, yes, I don't want my luck with dice to create a negative experience for my players type of deal. Because I, yes, I do eventually, and sometimes as we've had in one of my campaign, uh, in the Sunday campaign where I rolled, what, eight natural ones one night? Yeah. Um, you know, it does happen. But more often than not, I am hitting those natural 20s. And that's just something that, for whatever reason, that's the way Foundry is. And I, I think I've averaged it out to about five crits every session I host from the bad guys. And to me, that is just too unfair because there are some people that just have no luck. I've seen how how Foundry treats some dice rolls for other players, and they literally never get into a double digit on a D20. And so while there is a, a set type of deal to everything, I think that a little bit of mystery, a little bit of the DM kind of working his behind-the-scene magic to make the situation a lot more enjoyable and saying... Oh, yep, bad guy fails to save, even though the bad guy got a nat 20. He uh, he fails, and you guys banish him to another realm, and, you know, the party's like, yeah, awesome, great, because, you know, everybody was down to a single digit of health. Um, so that, that creates those moments of tension while still allowing a, a success to have. Whereas, you know, wiping a party every other session gets old real quick and a lot of players don't want to stick around for it especially people who are playing or paying to play that i could definitely see i think that's just uh the idea of wiping the party every session just requires a different type of group somebody who's ready for that nitty-gritty you plan or you die type game because i mean in the end dnd characters well, you do grow attached to them if it's a combat-based session then they do become expendable uh to at least some degree it just 
it attracts a different kind of person to want a game where you have to focus on preserving your characters as they are now a resource instead of a uh instead of like a self-insert right and you know that's why me and you um although have taken a break on it are working on a dark souls-esque dungeons and dragons where it is literally down in the dirt nitty gritty you are fighting for your life type of deal you know health potions hard to come by finding rations hard to come by getting money hard to come by you know it is a grim and dark world and so bringing players into that you know that's the expectation i would set for somebody who is ready to have a a fighting character combat character that you know if it dies it dies so what i'll make a new one you know um but for the games I'm running now, it's a lot of new people that are very fresh to D&D, and I don't want that to be a a first experience. I want the first experience of a, of a death to be an NPC, so that way they can kind of get a feel for growing attached to something and losing it. And then after that, you know, yeah, we'll get into some more serious campaigns where we play an actual commission game, and death is always on the table there is always a chance for death but there's always a chance for resurrection revivify you know stuff like that so you know the the world's there and it is as it's supposed to be but for the initial modules introducing new people bringing groups together um, it makes it a lot better when the group can all kind of play the same character vibe really well together figure out party dynamics figure out where everybody likes to stand within party as we discussed previously party roles um, because, you know, nobody just wants to RP their character, RP their character. They want to have a, a spot, you know, um, whether it's the tank, the DPS, the healer, you know, everybody wants to have their, their designated role. And so allowing, uh, new players and old players all coming together and doing that initial setup, that's, that's where, you know, you kind of make it a lot harder to allow a, a player death. But you bring in NPCs who die along the way and, you know, it helps bond the party, this and that. And then you get to commission games and that's where you kind of tell them, hey, so previously you guys, not going to say you had plot armor. If the dice really were rolling super shit and they wanted you to die, then your character might have died. But in this one, it is what it is. If you guys can't handle a situation, the leave and get the hell out of there button is always right there, you know, um... And so you guys have to be smart about how you go into combat encounters. You guys can't just walk into a dungeon and expect, you know, uh, all five of you to go in separate directions and all five of you to come back alive. Um, so, you know, for instance, you guys uh, experienced this with the, uh, uh, what was that, the two giants and the three howlers, uh, fire yep. giants and stuff. I was I was not fudging rolls at all for that encounter. You guys got extremely lucky that you guys were not killed, and uh, I'm still in disbelief that the dice didn't uh, didn't get any better on my side for trying to kill you guys, um, because the way that your party just kind of haphazardly walked in through caution of the wind. Um, one of the players kind of just shouted through the caves to get the attention of every possible monster within, you know, 80 feet. Uh, you know, it just kind of all accumulated to this moment of you guys are now fighting two fire giants at the same time, as well as three howlers and half the party still trying to make their way down the hole. 
And so yeah, I was uh, just kind of chilling up top, you know, fucking screaming, crying, so sad. Everybody left me for like, what was it, four rounds, five rounds? Something like that. You were you were like incapacitated trying to make them saves. That was it, the wisdom save. Yeah, that was just not friendly for you. Nope, that was. Uh, you kept getting a fourteen, sad. I think, right? Yeah, and the the DC was like fifteen or sixteen, something like that. Yeah, those. Oh god, those. It was brutal. I just wish somebody from the party that you weren't controlling would have stayed behind. <laughs> or if the whole party would have, you know, not split. But whatever. Right. That that that's you know, that was the judgment call. I was I was at the end of that session I told you guys, I was like, Hey, I don't care if you guys above the table talk about strats and stuff like that. Obviously not talking about stat blocks and the monster blocks, but, you know, figure out what you guys can do in tandem to help each other. You guys can look at this situation. I'll give you the week to look over this situation and figure out, oh, shit, you know, we really need to get to um, Brock and his character to get him ready and fit for combat. So that way he can sit in the back and start blasting things with a lot of damage. Um, and so... You know, I, I laid it on you guys. I'm like, hey, strategize. Otherwise, yeah, this encounter could very much just kill you all. Luckily enough, the dice were not having it. They did not want you to die for whatever reason. So you guys lived through that. So, you know, kudos to your guys' luck on that. Uh, however, I'm not pulling any more punches. So when you guys are going to get slapped around, you guys are going to get slapped around, especially in this next encounter. Um, although we skipped this Sunday, uh, this next Sunday, when you guys come back and you guys are dealing with, uh, I believe it's Loth, um, and the drow. Yeah. I hope she slaps me around. <laughs> Regardless, um, <laughs> you know, that's, it's a very deadly encounter. And, um, one of the characters, Austin is going in really haphazardly like, oh, it's not this, it's that. And, you know, a wiffle ball bat and everything else. And I'm like, Dude, you don't understand. You are not only in her domain, so not only does she get layer actions and legendary actions, but you guys have already got your hand uh, ass handed to you by some fire giants. This person's way stronger than both those fire giants combined. Oh, yeah. So, you know, uh, sitting there, I, I tried to lay it on really thick because it needed to be, and I tried to really push the, the, the power difference that, you know, Hey, you guys want to run? You guys can run. You guys want to be diplomatic? You guys can be diplomatic. You guys want to try and fight it? By all means, I hope to God the dice rolls are on your side. If not, it will probably look like a TPK if I get all the crits that I would normally get in a normal session. I wanted to be diplomatic. I wanted to be diplomatic so bad. I noticed. I noticed most of the party was like, maybe this is... And, uh, you know, Austin just kept being, well, uh, because I'm a paladin and, you know, stealing kids and this and that. I'm like, okay. How much use are you going to be to those kids if you are dead? Not very, probably, I don't think. Probably more use than he is in this this uh, this social encounter right now. Yeah, it's uh, it was it, either way. It was, it's just ridiculous because they're. I'm not gonna say that any of my players are hard headed, but they are very much like once they <laughs> set their mind to something, that it 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 is that that they want to accomplish. And you know, if the dice rolls work for that, fine. But if the dice rolls tell you no once, that is your warning. 
When the dice rolls tell you no a second time, they are no longer warning you. And when that third dice roll comes in and it's not good, it is going to kill you. Yeah, that is a uh, that is a fact that I I really hope happens, or not like happens, but like actually gets through to people. Because fucking hell, like come on. Right, I mean, it's a dice game. You are playing a mathematical dice game. So if you cannot accept that what the dice are telling you, you need to rethink what game you're playing because it is a dice game. So if the dice are like, hey, you failed that, you failed that, yeah, we'll let you pass on that, you're going to fail that, fail that, you're looking at four fails out of five. That is not good. Do not keep trying the same thing. It was funny. No. I, I go ahead. No go. I was uh, what game was I running? There was a game I was running. Uh, I'm trying to remember, but you know they they did the meta game thing where one person searched something, they didn't find anything because of a low dice roll, and so you know somebody else comes over and searches it, and you know new dice roll right, and I'm like okay. Second person came over, searched it, didn't find anything. Third person came over, searched it, still couldn't roll high enough, didn't find anything. <laughs> fourth person came over to search it i'm like all right if you search this and you fail there will be consequences because this is the fourth time your party has done this i'm very lenient um on things but this is the fourth fucking time so if you're ready to make that check go ahead and they were all like i think level two at this point um they made the search couldn't find anything and the chest turned into a mimic yeah. <laughs> and they had to fight a mimic. They nearly, uh, two of them went unconscious fighting this mimic. And, um, you know, I was like, hey, I am totally cool with one person trying to go through things and another person coming over to double check their work or whatever. But when you guys metagame in this way, there will always be consequences because the dice themselves are telling you, hey, your group is not finding anything. Move on. And so at the fourth time of the dice game saying, stop it, you got to appease the dice guys. Yeah, lesson learned. Start fucking mimics instead of trying to investigate them. And it turns out better 100% of the time. And that's the, you know, that's the thing is when somebody, when you're with a party or when you're with a group of friends and you guys are searching things and going through things, um, unless you're stuck in like an escape room, um, when somebody looks through something, they're like, ah, oh, nothing over here. You don't go over there and look through it. You just move on as a group. You know, any video game you play when you're like, oh, yeah, there's no loot over here. Everybody else just moves on, you know? So why is it any different because you know of a roll? You're metagaming a little bit and being like, oh, okay, well, I know he rolled low, which means that there's probably something in there. We just got to roll high enough to get it. And I'm like, hmm. I don't know about that, Chief. Uh, you know, that's 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 kind of above the board talk. That's like when you when somebody gets a crit, right? You don't know that you got a crit. What you know is that you dealt some extra damage or you hit them in a weak spot. And so you had some extra oomph to your to your damage. What you um you know that it's not like we our characters are in this world going, Ah, oh, yeah, let's let's watch that big overlord over there, roll that D twenty. I've got my trusty plus four here on my left shoulder plate. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, that's a that's a 
13 plus plus the four I have 17. Yeah, I am hitting this guy. You know, it that's that's not how this works. Yeah, as much as I wish it was how it works, it is definitely not. But uh, that's why I'm building here's... a game with that's how that works. That's why I'm right. doing that uh, isekai thing. Here's another thought that's that's still pertinent to this is uh, when you have like a say a, a DMPC or just like an essential NPC or something is lying to the party about something and a party member rolls insight. If they roll low, does that mean that they are inaccurate and are guessing or does that mean that they are specifically wrong about their interpretation? I will always make it seem like if a DNPC is lying and somebody wants to insight check and they roll really low, what happens is they think that he's telling the truth that, you know, that they believe to him to be an honest, upstanding person. However, Every person that rolls insight after that has to roll a higher insight than whatever DC I had before. So I will add some more to that DC to make it harder because, you know, people are always watching people make those low rolls and they're like, oh, I'll assist or I'll do the same. Sure. However, it's going to be harder for the next person and then the next person and then the next person until I get to the point where, you know, a random lightning bolt strikes the fifth person for trying. That would be pretty funny. Um, have you ever run into uh, scenarios where that's led to metagaming, though? Somebody seeing that it was a low roll and receiving the answer in a negative fashion, like you assume that since the roll was low, it's the opposite of what you received as an answer, and then people acting upon it the way that they feel instead of the way that was interpreted. So you're saying like if um you know one of my DMPCs lied to a character and that character got a low roll and you know I told that character hey you believe he's being honest then that character starts think treating him like he's a liar and trying exactly. to circumnavigate. Yeah. Uh so when I see stuff like that that is when um I start pulling strings for the DNPC to you know really put on this very much um i'm a nice guy you know everybody loves me this and that and i will make it so that way every time the party tries to expose them it blows up in their face because of the fact that they shouldn't know that to begin with so they shouldn't be trying that in the first place you are essentially taking uh outside player knowledge which you know it happens sometimes and i i will i will say that i will actually tell my players hey that is a little bit metagamey. I, I I would say that you don't know that or you can't you wouldn't take this line of thought. And then most of the time my players always kind of take that hint and they're like, okay, and they'll go back to doing whatever their character was doing. Um I haven't run into a situation where they tried to kind of go against what I've told them that their player would be thinking or their character would be thinking. Um and if I did, like I said, I'd pull strings, I would kind of pull out all the woodworks to really hinder their chances of finding any actual evidence against this guy where they could have normally done so um, had they stumbled upon it or had they found some other clue that led them to believe it. Sure, by Hunter Means, uh, un unhindered path, take it. Um, but once you start doing something where you ha know you have received the wrong answer and you just go against that anyway... You're basically telling me that you're not playing as your character anymore. You're playing as a player with your mindset in that character. So now I'm going to play as a DM in the mind of that DNPC.
Yeah, I feel like that, uh, yeah, I definitely agree that, you know, extra steps have to be made. I feel like that, uh, the idea of you roll low, you get the opposite of the answer. I feel like that applies into a lot of things like investigation. You roll low, you don't find anything versus you roll low, you find like a fucking rock or something, or you roll low and you can still accidentally stumble upon it. Or like an insight check, you roll low, you may stumble upon the right answer, but it would just be a guess at that point. It wouldn't be certain. Or just, and I don't know. Because I feel like... Go ahead. I feel like any solid answer that ties to a low roll just automatically insinuates like, hey, this is wrong. Okay, we got the answer we're looking for. So what you're saying is to just mitigate it all together by not giving a wrong answer, but giving a very, very, very vague answer. Either a vague answer or an uncertain answer or roll flip a coin behind the the table. If it's like a straight black and white thing, like, is he lying? Yes, no. Flip a coin. See which which answer they believe. Because, I mean, if... But see, that's still that's still a, a yes or no answer, you know, a right or wrong answer. And, and at that point, you know, that's what that insight check was to be able to tell that player, you know. So it's really hard to kind of find that that nice balance because a lot of DMs, a lot of people wind up using certain words. And other people who, you know, obviously don't know the DM too well or uh, other things, you know, um, you know, when I go, oh, yeah, it seems like a normal stone wall people hang on the word seems, you know, it's, it's not that I'm trying to insinuate anything. I'm literally just telling you uh, in my way of talking, it's a normal stone wall. But I, if I say it normally, I'm like, it's a normal stone wall. It it sounds like I'm being sarcastic or kind of like a, uh, well, what did you think it was, you idiot? And uh, I don't, I don't ever want that to come across. So I use a lot of like, um, soft words, I guess, or like, um, I, I, I forgot what the word was for it, but basically where you use words to kind of muddy uh, the meaning of your sentence to make it seem a lot uh, nicer, a lot calmer, a lot um, and just calmer in general. Like you're not accusatory or um, throwing things around or trying to be like uh, attacking anybody. I'd use a lot of words that would kind of muddle that down to just allow it to be yeah it seems like a wall sure so radical thought and i'm sure this won't lead anywhere but what do you think about an rpg system or just like a a variant rule for 5e where instead of the characters knowing what was rolled they just like voice their modifier and all rolls are hidden and on the dm so if you roll an investigation check or something, you don't actually know what you rolled. You just know that you wanted information and you received an answer based on a roll. See, I like that. And that's what I liked about Foundry's blind GM rule. However, the issue is then you're eliminating so many dice from the dice game that the players actually get to roll that, you know, a lot of times they're just sitting there clicking a button, which, you know, if you make the VTT fun enough for them to interact with and play around with. And they're on the map moving their token around more than that. You know, they still got their attack rolls and stuff like that. Um, however, when it comes to those RP moments and stuff, 
you're still kind of eliminating, uh, I believe when you do a blind GM roll, it also gets rid of your um, digital dice that rolls across the screen, so you can't see that anymore. And then, you know, there's just a, a moment of me giving a response, which, you know, for some groups definitely could work. And I do like the line of thought this idea has and the, the potential merit. Um, but I know for a lot of people, it's, it's you know, having those dice, you know, rolling those dice, as many dice as I can get in, the dice goblins, so to speak, you know? Yeah, um, I think it would work better in, uh, like, an in-person scenario where if... Uh... I don't know if all players could like roll towards the DM or something or like roll and the die ends up behind a screen or something. Could you imagine everyone has a dice tower that has like a long shoot that just leads to the DM? That's basically what I'm picturing is everybody rolls at a table and there's like a funnel in the middle of the table and it just rolls the die out like by the DM's feet or something. Right. Or the DM has like a, a spinny chair that they can like spin around in and they're just at the center of this round table, this donut table. And um, basically, he's got a, a a full circle kind of DM screen, and people just roll into it, and it kind of comes down onto his platform where he can see it, and then he can hand the dice back and stuff. But that would be uh, that'd be really cool. It's a it's a fun line of thought. I'd like to explore that more one day and see if um, I can get that to work on Foundry in some way, shape, or form. I'm starting to kind of um, push a lot of my players to using the blind GM role for stealth and stuff like that. Because those moments uh, do create a lot of, like, fun, like, yeah, I'm stealthing with a three, you know? Yeah. And so... No, that's, like, some of the most fun shit. Because, like, when a when a rogue rolls a nat one on stealth or something, and they see they rolled a nat one, then they can just be like, okay, maybe stealth's not the greatest idea right now. Right, I'm going to sit at the door and guard fun. the door. Yeah, it's even more fun when they've got like uh, like clown shoes that go honk, 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 honk as they're trying to fucking walk. Right, or, you something. know, that's something I do with uh, my players now that uh, I think Saturday morning they started rolling blind uh, stealth checks. And I'm like, yeah, you guys make it into the to the town very stealthily. You guys are able to slip past a lot of the guards. And then you guys hear the clattering of pots and pans as somebody has stepped into a, um, what do they call it? Uh, uh, like a drying bed, rack. Uh, a bedpan, basically. Um, and Or a chamber pot. And, you know, I'm like, and you guys look behind and you see X, Y, and Z has put his foot into a chamber pot and kicked two others over. And you guys have now been found out. Roll for initiative. And everybody's like, what the fuck? You know? creates those awesome moments so um you know i'm trying to push it more for stuff like that um i'm also gonna see about implementing a little bit more into the rp moments you know calling it out like hey you know um obviously not for like uh strength saves and stuff like that you know it, it you're gonna hit or miss that you know there's no reason to hide that um however you know when someone is rolling insight i'm gonna be like all right go ahead and blind gm roll that for me um whereas uh, you know, if it's a general perception check, the entire group can make, you know, I'll let you guys all roll out in the open and stuff like that. Sure. One more thought before we wrap up is, uh, well, actually two more. One, I think you should do death saves the same way. I feel like that would add a lot more. I've been trying, them. but the problem with the character sheet is, uh, it still marks it off as a pass or a failure on the character sheet itself so the character can always look in there however what i've been oh. trying to do is i'm trying to tell my players hey 
blind GM, roll this, and you will see it on your character sheet. Do not say anything to the rest of your party. I had that happen. Same game, Saturday morning. Uh, someone rolled a nat one, had two death saves, failed. And um, there was one character that was going to come up before uh, an enemy NPC was going to come up that was originally, even before he made the death save, going to hit him while he was in death saves. And I'm like, this dude's going to die. Uh, but that character went over healing wordum. He got up and everything. And I'm like, dude, you saved his fucking life at the end of the session. Yeah. Why not just have people roll straight D20 and uh, blind GM roll, and then you can keep track? I mean, how many players can you really have in death saves at once? Oh, yeah, for sure. You know, um, it's just it, it. I think it's easier for them because it's like a click button or whatever. But yeah, I, I can probably get them on board, especially that I got that little um, set of individual dice you can click at the bottom of uh, chat. Yeah, that's that's what I'm thinking. Those are actually pretty helpful. Yeah, um, I'll look into it more and uh, figure out a good method to kind of implement it across the board. Yeah. I think what I was getting to, though, is um, like on the topic of all these skill checks and stuff, is uh, when you're when a player usually has to make like a, a charisma or an intimidation roll, I find it odd. I'm not sure how to fix this, but I find it odd that it seems like those checks are handled backwards than most other skill checks in 5e. Like you can voice what you say you're making an athletics check like I would like to push this boulder out of the way. Okay, make an athletics check. I rolled a two. Yeah, that boulder is going nowhere. I rolled an 18. Yeah, you just threw the boulder on top of the halfling. Good luck. But with charisma checks, uh, it seems like usually you, you role play out the moment and then you make the charisma check as opposed to just like stating an intention. And then once the charisma check is made, then you can role play out how it goes. Well, I think that it it also works out because then, you know, characters can really get into the role of giving that intimidation or coming up and be like, hey, bartender, why don't you help us out here? Get us a little discount, you know, we'll 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 give you a song and dance. We'll we'll bring in some more patrons for you. You know, we're a famous adventuring party, you know, and they really get into it. However, I feel like a lot of people would haphazardly give that once they saw that they get they had like a, a two or something on their roll. Instead, they'd be like, ah, why don't you give us something? And it's like, OK, well, uh, how do you how do you work with that? You know, I don't want the RP moment to die just because they got a low roll. But at the same time, I see what you're saying where, you know, somebody can deliver this great performance of trying to persuade somebody and still get a low roll. Typically, um, how I run my games in RP moments like that is if you do something and say something that persuades them and even I'm like, shit, yeah, I mean, fuck, I would even do it if you talk to me like that, damn. And um, then I'll tell you, roll with advantage or, um, you know, I will lower the DC on side of, on my side of things to allow it to flow easier. Um, so I believe that a good performance will get you better results because it gives you a, a better chance to succeed. And so that's why I give you these kind of these boons or buffs to go with it. Whereas, you know, um, you know, someone who comes up and they're like, uh, yeah, we'd like three rooms. All right. That'll be 30 gold. And, you know, they're like, can we get a discount? I'm like, okay. Uh, roll persuasion, I guess. And I'm, I, you know, I'm not going to give them anything because they literally just came right out and said it. They didn't try to do anything. 
And I definitely see that. And that's the way that I ran things in the one, two games that I DM'd. But I feel like now that I'm like stepping back and looking at it as a player, it feels like that's judging more on the player's charisma than the character's charisma. Is it not? Because it's your perception of how the player acted that is determining a boon or a bane on the skill check as opposed to the character, how the conversation would actually go in with their charisma. It feels like it'd be more difficult maybe for like shy players to to achieve one of these boons or like lower their dc because maybe a shy player is only able to get out like could we could we get a discount please or something like that because it takes a lot to ask for some people to speak out like that yeah and and you know I, i personally as a personal dm i can't i obviously never speak for the majority of dms as a whole but personally when i see a character that does that and they step out of their comfort zone to do that hell yeah i'm gonna lower the dc for them hell yeah i'm gonna give them advantage because it's they're trying to not only step out of their comfort zone which is a huge step for someone who's shy i know i've been there i'm still there you know i i have so many issues when i try to leave the house um but you know trying to do that and really bond with a party and you know stepping forward and and doing that i will never ever fault one of my players for doing that and i will always try to help them succeed because i know that that first good moment of that rp moment will lead to many more great ones if they succeed and so i will give them the first one later on down the line yeah if they still provide a you know subpar performance you know half a year later and they're barely talking or anything yeah i'm I'm gonna be like all right well you're just rolling normal now um, but I, I will talk to my players and I'll be like, hey, you know, the better performance you guys give, the more likely I'll give you advantage or lower the DC just so you guys know. Um, right. Just so that way, you know, it's it's on the table that you guys have the chance to definitely succeed and get a better chance to succeed the more effort you put into that character's role play moment. You know, if you're a, a combat focused person and don't care about RP at all yeah you you ain't getting advantages from anything however if you are a combat focused person no rp at all but it's just because you're shy and you do eventually voice up at some point and i've kind of gotten that read on your character i will definitely um you know assist you as much as i can um for quite a while until i'm ready to be like all right you're talking with a group you're a lot more talkative you have been stepping forward so much more now and you're you're almost the face of the party at this point you got to step up your rp game if you want tips or tricks or anything like that i'm more than happy to work with you um you know i i'm a dm and part of my job is being able to run with the punches and uh do improv at any possible moment and so you know i will i will lay on the tips and tricks i have um the biggest one is uh i just let my mind go blank i kind of just run with like a conversation like i'm kind of zoning out while running with the conversation and it allows my head to fill with like uh the wording that these characters need i hate to think of what your head filled when you were trying to role play vitra in austin uh no i i blacked out for that i don't remember much of that (laughs) I uh I I just remember uh kind of coming back to and it was 30 minutes later in the session for some reason. 
Yeah, coming back to 30 minutes later, Austin's somehow not dead and still complaining about this, which is beyond any of us. But... Yeah, are you kidding me? I, I gave him the companion, right? And he is like, yeah. um, no, I'm I'm good. I'm like, what the fuck? We've been working on this since day one that you met her. What the fuck is going on here, man? Yeah, and he moved on and is trying to hit on the goddess of drow, or I believe. Yeah, law. Yeah, and it's like, wait a second, you have the That's Infernal your Monster chastity. High Girl, okay? Yeah, you have the Infernal Chastity Belt on with Vitra. Like, fuck off. Leave Monster Girls for the rest of us. Oh, God, it's... A lot of my campaigns, after, after having that kind of week of just, like, not depression, but just sleeping and getting, like, much-needed sleep and stuff like that... Yeah. Um. I came back too, and for some reason, all of my campaigns there have been jokes. Every I, if I have not laughed once during a campaign, um, I have not had that campaign yet because, uh, you know, everybody's been really on top of jokes, cracking jokes. I think that it could be the the new energy, the the revigorated um, energy I've been bringing back uh, since I kind of dropped out of that uh, whole slump or whatever. Um, and it kind of pushes a lot of my players to be a lot more comedic or whatever because they're able to open up since I'm being fun and goofy and letting things roll. So, you know, I, if that's the case, I'm, I've am i been having a blast. You know, I, I, I'm at 50, 16 games now. Um, and so I feel no wear out whatsoever, and I am just having the time of my life with some of these people. Yeah, that's awesome. And just kind of tying everything back in, uh, it seems like the uh, like the shy player problem, and like trying to get them to start interacting with the group, it is these the sense of humor, especially with the the Sunday game I'm a part of. It seems like every new character has just had one moment where one like kickoff joke that really got us comfortable. Shout out to the Canadian viewers that uh, talked about us talking about orgies in the second episode of this, because we're going to do it again. That was the joke for our most recent player in the Sunday game, was uh, making a joke about having a threesome with the uh, the aforementioned Austin and Vitra. Oh, yeah. It was... <laughs> I think Lando also came into his own when he started like making like the... the the yes, turn me into a drow mommy type jokes and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> and everybody's cracking up, dying. I, I feel like everybody, those are the moments, those breakout moments where somebody cracks a joke, makes something happen, or it's it's the opposite of that, and it's like a, a crit success, and they win the battle and save lives, you know? Those breakout moments really bond the party. And so I try to implement those as much as I can when I have new players come in because... Uh, I try to give them as many opportunities to have that. Yeah, you slash through and you just cleave this monster clean in half. And, you know, I, I really lay into it because those are the moments when the rest of the party's like, damn, remind me not to piss her off, you know? Yeah. Um, and so that's that's the that's what I try to do for my players, because not only does it help them feel welcome into the group, but it also kind of bonds them to the point where they don't feel like an outsider right from the get go. Yeah. I definitely agree. It's uh, it's all about finding people who agree on the and can laugh on the same wavelength. Oh I yeah, feel like 
something I know you've mentioned that you work really hard with is trying to sort people into various campaigns where they'll mesh well with the other members. Yeah, for sure. You know, and you know, that's, that's, that's half of it is being able to read your, your players. Um, you don't have to know them like a book, but, uh, get to know them, you know, don't, don't think of them as a source of income. Don't think of them as just another person you got to prep for. They are first and foremost, every one of my players is my friend. I will do my best to talk to them, um, you know, before session, after session, I try to show up early so that way I can talk and chat, ask people how their day went, you know, and, and really try to just generally vibe with uh, my players because it helps me build that relationship with them. <laughs> You're my friend now. We're having soft tacos later. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> oh, man. Well, regardless... That is all the time we have for this week's uh, D&D podcast. Um, anything you want to plug? I know you've been working on some new stuff over there. Yeah, I've actually started. Um, it's still in the works, but I actually have started both a Patreon and a Fiverr. I'm trying to offer homebrewing services based out of pop culture, media, so anime, video games, movies, TV shows, any sort of media that you find and you see like a, a scene or an episode and you think, man, that would be really cool to be able to role play as, to be able to like immerse myself further into past watching somebody else do it, then I'm offering my services to be able to adapt that type of content into 5e playable content, whether it's encounters, classes, subclasses, uh, even entire campaigns, maybe with a little help. Oh yeah, for sure. And um, I feel like you've, You've really hit uh, a niche, and uh, I'm very interested to see where that heads. Um, yeah. But past that, uh, obviously subscribe to Brock's YouTube channel, uh, D&D Fight Club. And, uh, you know, comment on some of the videos he's got. Um, and, you know, if you're listening to this in any type of podcast form from any other site, uh follow or subscribe i'm not really sure how all that works but you know uh stay with us to see another session next week and uh i think that's about it yep remember to check out gage's start playing now account as well there's always oh. slots open for new campaigns oh my god yeah i totally forgot about that <laughs> <laughs> whoops the one thing i was supposed to plug i forgot uh either way thanks for stopping by guys we'll see you next week yep take care